If you have your Bibles this morning, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and uh, I want you to think about something. Are you a productive person? Are you a productive person? And let me just give you a scenario. Let's say, and I'm going to use me as an example, Friday is my day off. Uh, I take Friday, and uh, I set out most Fridays with goals in mind on what I want to do on my day off. Most of them are got to get laundry folded and done and put up because uh, I'm a good husband, okay? Now, follow me on the story. This is my goal. This is my goal. Uh, cleaning the house, that's a part of my day off. Of course, resting, reflecting, and meditating is a part of what I like to do on my day off. Now, if I go through the Friday... And I get all the laundry that needs to be done, done, folded, hung up, done. I would say that's pretty productive, right? Would you agree? I've been productive. If I go through and get all the laundry done and the bathroom's clean and the floor's vacuum, we have a robot that cleans, that vacuums now. So that's easy. I just got to hit go. So I can get that done. But if I get it all done, that's a productive day, right? I've produced something. Now, if on my day off, I decided that I needed a day off, and I binge-watched my favorite TV show, would that be productive? No. No. Well, yes, yes. Here's why. Days on Fridays that I set out to binge-watch my favorite TV show, West Wing, or NCIS. Y'all need to watch some TV. That's some good shows. The, um, I would say that's a very productive day because that's what I set out to do. Right? Now, y'all still don't, you're not buying it, are you? Yeah, what is, that's right. What is being, that's, and that's what I want us to wrestle with. What does being productive look like? Are we productive Christians? Are we productive people? We have cell phones. And I remember, I, many of you here are with me on this. I lived much of my young teenage life with no cell phone. How did I get by? But I remember when the BlackBerry came. I never had a BlackBerry. But I remember when the BlackBerry came out. We are going to be so much more productive as a society because we have a BlackBerry. We can answer our emails on our phones. Now, some people were more productive. And then the iPhone came out. I remember the iPhone 1, right? And we're like, we're going to be so much more productive because now we have little computers with us everywhere we go. Do you know what I spend most of my time doing on my phone? Playing games. Anybody else? It has. I turn my email notifications off. You know, <laughs> I am less productive because I'm always connected to everything. When the idea was we're always connected, so we should be more productive. If you're a student. Your productivity is based on how much schoolwork you get done during the day or how much homework you get done at night. If you're an adult with a job, your productivity is based and determined on how much you accomplish in a given day or a given week. But for a Christian, what determines productivity? And how do we accomplish the productivity that we have to get done? That is what Jesus is addressing as we start 
John 15. Remember the context. We are in the last hours of Jesus' life here on earth as a physical embodiment, okay? Now, Jesus lives forever. He's alive. He's well. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But as a human being, he is in his last hours, and he is pouring his heart out to his disciples. He is trying to tell them what is about to happen. He's trying to tell them what the future is going to look like. He's trying to prepare them and instruct them to be disciples even after he's gone. And we've looked at all those things in chapter 14 about the disciples are going to do greater works than Jesus did. And that's not a command. That's a statement, a fact, that these disciples in this room, the 11 that were left when he said that, they're going to expand the gospel globally. And that in 2023, there's going to be a gathering in China Grove, and they're going to be worshiping me because you guys are going to do greater works than me. He tells us how to do it through prayer and Bible study and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There is help for us through the Holy Spirit that Jesus will send us. And those are all themes that are going to be continued on through the rest of this farewell discourse, this farewell sermon. So now Jesus has left. At the end of verse 14, he leaves the upper room, and they are walking to that garden where Jesus will be arrested. And as he and his disciples walk, he starts verse 15 like this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes it and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, remain in me, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it maintains, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you may produce much fruit and prove to be my disciple. It's possible that Jesus and his disciples are walking through a vineyard and that he sees there would have been many vineyards in Israel. Uh, the idea of vineyards and grapes is a huge theme for the Israeli people, the Jewish people. It's more likely that Jesus, as he's walking to the garden, passes the great temple. You see, on the temple doors, on doors that lead into some of the holier places of the temple, are golden grapevines etched on the doors. Beautiful, big, decorative grapevines 
glistening gold, reminding the people of Israel that they are, were supposed to be, or are God's vine. Throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is referred to as God's vine. They were the vine that was, that, that was supposed to produce fruit for God. They were supposed to uh, allow people to be connected to them, to know the real God, to experience the real God, the one true God. Uh, they were God's chosen people set apart as holy, and they were supposed to tell the rest of the world who the one true God is. That was the purpose of Israel. You know, we, we, we talk about them as God's chosen people, but their purpose was not to just be this excluded club. Their purpose was to tell others and invite others to come in and go through the process of being connected to God. But every time in the Old Testament, uh, maybe with one exception, but almost every time when God or the prophets refer to Israel as the vine, it's always bad. In fact, Isaiah 51, verses is fairly long, but I want to read it to you. The prophet Isaiah talks about this in chapter 5. He says, uh, I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard, God's vineyard, God's people. The one I loved had a vineyard on very, a very fertile hill. God, this is referring to God, he broke up the soil, cleared the stones, and planted it with the finest vines. God built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out the wine press there. He expanded. Expected it to yield good grapes, good fruit, but it yielded worthless grapes. The prophet continues, So now, residents of Jerusalem, men of Judea, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? And on and on he goes. The nation of Israel was supposed to be the grapevine to sustain people, to show people God. And God says, you're worthless. You failed to live up to my standards. Psalm 80 talks about the same thing. And over and over again through the Old Testament, Jeremiah 2, 21, Jeremiah 6, 8, Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 19, Hosea 10. It's all God, was. Israel was supposed to be a beautiful vineyard that produced fruit and they're worthless and so jesus shows up in jerusalem and what does he say looking at the gold grapevine reminding the people that they were god's vine and jesus looks at this 11 he says guys i am the true that word true is the key here i'm the true vine i am the one who will sustain the people. I am the one who will, if you connect to me and remain connected to me, I am the one who will produce the fruit for God. Now we've seen Jesus do this over and over in John's, in John's gospel. He's replacing Moses in a sense. He's fulfilling the law of God. He's fulfilling the feast of tabernacles. He is the living water. All these ceremonies and all these festivals that we've looked at Jesus has used those moments to say, listen, I'm the one. I'm the bread of life. 
I'm the one who is here to fulfill all of this. And so now he's saying, in a sense, I am replacing Israel. Now, understand me, Israel and the Jewish people, that's God's people. God will honor his covenant promise because God does not break his promise. But Jesus is replacing them as the vine. He is replacing them as the source to experience who God is. Jesus is the true vine. We also see that God is the father, that God is the farmer, that God comes through the vineyard and a a, a farmer's job is to make sure everything is, is properly growing. So the farmer, God, will come through and he'll cut off all the dead branches. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he prunes the branches that are producing fruit. Listen, lean in on this one. The Christian life is hard. Well, you would think that if we follow Jesus, especially if you listen to TV preachers, you would think it's supposed to be health, wealth, and prosperity. But Jesus clearly says, if if you're producing fruit, that's great. God wants more, so he prunes the fruit. I heard a a pastor, and I I didn't do a lot of study, but I really liked what is Paul Washer. Uh, he's, He's good sometimes, not so good other times. But what he said here was really good. He looked at Jacob and Esau. And God chose Jacob. Remember, God chose Jacob and God did not choose Esau. And yet when you look at them, Esau had what we would say is a blessed life. Sorry, I like it, I like it. Esau has a blessed life. Esau seems, other than he's out in the wilderness, Esau has a easy life. We would look at Esau and say, he's a blessed man. But God said, no, I'm not blessing Esau. And then we look at Jacob, and Jacob had a hard life. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob just, it was hard. And what God was doing to Jacob said, I have chose you. And so he prunes him. He sends him through trials. He sends him through difficulties. And it's hard. But God says, I am refining you. I am molding you. You are going to be great. You're going to produce much fruit. And so when we go through seasons of pruning, understand this. God is is preparing us to produce more fruit. To produce more fruit. But the farmer also cuts off the dead branches. Now, we are, listen, disciples are the branches. It's a metaphor. We are the branches. He cuts off the dead branches. Now, listen very carefully. This does not mean you lose your salvation. That is a lot of interpretation of this passage. That you're a Christian, but you're no longer a Christian, and so God cuts you off from the vine, cuts you off from Jesus. That's not what this means. Do not extend the metaphor that far. Metaphors have limits. We know that, right? You can only apply them so far. It's not losing your salvation. Uh, Some people, to repudiate against losing salvation, has taken this in a direction that's not biblical. Our students went to Caswell two years ago and had a preacher who stood up and used this verse. And he said in his passage that God would never cut them off. That it really means God lifts them up. Now, the word cut off can be translated lifted up. Now think about this. It makes sense. They're not producing fruit, so God's going to lift them up, get them closer to the sun, so they can produce more fruit. 
Here's the problem. Read the context of the passage. What happens to the dead branches? They get burned. You can't interpret that as lifted up in the context of the passage. God cuts off the dead branches. So what does he mean? This is important. I want you to think about Judas to answer the question. Think about Judas. He's not here at this point of the story. Judas has left. And yet Judas spent three years closely connected to Jesus, right? He followed him. He learned from him. But Judas was never alive. Judas was dead. He was a dead branch. And he's been cut off. This idea of a dead branch means it's someone who is not getting sustenance. It's not getting nourishment from the vine. A dead branch is dead because it's not getting what it needs from the vine. It has nothing to do with losing your salvation. It has nothing to do with being lifted up to produce fruit. It has to do with the fact the dead branch is never a Christian to begin with. Our churches, especially in this country, but churches around the world are filled with people who are dead. People who are in there every week, they're not really Christians. They're not really drawing on the source. They seem to be connected, but they're dead. And God's going to cut them off because they're worthless. Uh, We had flowers one time, and I don't know how to grow flowers, but we would always plant them in the spring. They would die a week later. Uh, Finally, I, I talked to somebody about this, and he says, well, as one or two start to die... You cut them off so the others can flourish, right? God's cutting the dead branches, the non-Christians out so that the Christians can produce more fruit. It's a question for us to wrestle with. It's a question for people who go to church to wrestle with. Are we really getting what we need from the vine? Are we really connected from are connected to the vine. That's what he means. And if you're not, God's going to cut you off. He's going to cut you out and you're going to be burned. Again, I don't think we should interpret that as go to hell. Hell's a very real place. Non-Christians go there. But in the context of this metaphor, I think he's just saying worthless things get burned. Worthless things are trash. We just got to throw it out. Dead branches are trash. So I think the big question is, how do we know if we're connected to the vine? On the flip side, if we're connected to the vine, how do we produce fruit? And Jesus answers the question. Over and over, he repeats the same word. Remain in me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Abide in my word. Remain Remain. There's a passage of scripture uh, in 1 John where he talks about, let me find it, Uh, didn't write it down, but the idea is is that they were not, they went out from us. Uh, 1 John and 1 John is talking about a group of people who left the church, they went out from us and didn't come back, and John says they were never a part of us to begin with. 
They were never a part of us to begin with. Jesus in John chapter 6 is called, uh, remember in John chapter 6, is at the height of his popularity. Hundreds of people are following him. He gives the I am the bread. You have to eat my body and drink my blood. And he gives us, and people find it really hard. He calls them to discipleship. And the saddest verse in maybe the whole gospel, all these people who had been following Jesus left and never followed again. They were cut off. Judas was cut off because they didn't remain. But the 11 disciples, and in Acts you see 120 followers, they remained. And Jesus even here says, my word has already cleansed the 11 because they remained in Jesus. James puts it this way. He says, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. If we remain in him, we produce fruit. We produce fruit. Our fruit production, here, here's kind of the bottom line. If you fell asleep, you want to wake up for this part, here's what you take home. Fruit production is directly dependent upon our connection to Christ. As a church, our fruit production is directly dependent upon our connection to Christ. I'll make it even simpler for you. Conduct Production dependent upon connection. It's easy. Production dependent upon connection. That's what you take home. But what kind of production? Here it is. Here it is. Christians, here's the fruit we produce. The Bible tells us. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We have to be a people of love. It's the first one, by the way. Love God, love people. You want to remain in Jesus? You want to remain connected to the vine? You want to produce fruit? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Joy. You've got to have joy. When we're worshiping the Father, this is not what joy looks like. The smile there at the end was not what I was talking about. Joy is celebrating who God is. Him, praise song, whatever, whatever the style doesn't matter. When we worship, it's got to have a heart of joy. When we're going through trials, have joy. Doesn't mean we have to be happy, doesn't mean you have to like it. Have joy in your life. You've been saved by Jesus Christ. You're connected to the vine. Have joy. If you don't have joy, you might not be connected to the vine at all. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. We can have peace in our circumstances. Forbearance or patience. Kindness. Well, I learned something about kindness yesterday. Raleigh is the worst place to drive on the planet. I don't drive in Charlotte that much. I had to go a, a half a mile. Half a mile. 45 minutes. I learned, I learned forbearance. I learned patience. And I learned kindness. People can't drive. I said that last week. People, I can't drive either. People can't drive. I learned kindness. I also learned what non-kindness looked, looked like when I was in the wrong lane and got beeped at and honked at. And uh, Goodness is another fruit. We've got to be kind. We've got to be good. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, our, that's what we produce. 
That's our life. Love God, love people. Have joy, have peace, have patience, have kindness, have goodness, have faithfulness, have gentleness, have self-control. A lot of times you'll hear preachers use this verse and they'll talk about if you want to produce fruit, it's how many people you've led to Christ. By the way, that's a part of the fruit too. Telling people about Jesus is fruit. It's a lot easier to tell people about Jesus when you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What kind of fruit are you producing at your job? What kind of fruit are you producing at school? What kind of fruit are you producing at home? I think if we would follow these fruits of the Spirit, and if we would love God and love people, I think producing, producing fruit of evangelism would just happen. We don't see this in the world. We don't see this fruit every day. It's attractive. It draws people in. It leads people to ask those questions. How can you have joy when you're sitting in traffic? How can you have joy when your boss is running down your throat and getting on to you every day? How can you have joy when you get a diagnosis that's very bleak? How can you have joy? And you say, I can have joy because I'm connected to Jesus. I can produce joy in my life because I'm dependent upon my connection to Jesus. And you can tell them about the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. You can share the gospel with them. Production is dependent upon our connection. So I'm going to give you some very practical action steps. How do you remain in Christ? We'll sum it up. How can you be connected? How can you stay connected? Here's first number one. Individually, read your Bible. Remain in my word. That's what he says. Read your Bible. Uh, if you struggle reading the Bible, the Gospels are always a great place to just immerse yourself in. You know, learn about Jesus, then go to the epistles and so on and so forth. But as you mature, read the whole Bible. Again, I said last week, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you're in Leviticus. Maybe getting into you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Maybe getting into Numbers. Don't hit the roadblocks. Read the Bible. Second, study your Bible. There's a difference between reading and studying. Read your Bible, then study your Bible. That's what you can do every single day. Maybe your Bible's been laying there on the table. It's got covered in dust. Blow it off, open it up, and read it. What did we say last week? The Holy Spirit will help us interpret it, help us understand it. But you, that's how you remain. Remain in his word. Read it. Second action step, go to church. <laughs> You're here. You've uh, Check. Uh, no, we don't have a list of check things. These are just things that can help you. Be connected to a life-giving, Bible-preaching church. Be there to fellowship. Be connected with other believers. Be there to sing praises, to hear the word preached. Stay connected with a church. The worship service is where we gather to worship and hear God's word. Another step is get plugged into a Sunday school class. Get connected into a Sunday school class or a small group or whatever you want to call it. Get connected. You know, here, the worship services are somewhat surface level, Sunday school, small group. We go deep, deep, deep into the text. It's how we grow. Get into a Sunday school class. And I'll say this. I know that 8.45, 9 o'clock is early for some people to come to our Sunday school. But you might want to put on your steel toads for this one. You will get up to go to work. You will get up to go to school. 
You will get up to go to a ball game. You will get up to go to a friend's house. You will get up as early as you need to to do what you want to do. If it's a priority, you'll get up and you'll be there. Make it a priority. Make church, make Sunday school, make it a priority. And you'll get up and you'll be here. You'll get up and you'll be here. Make it a priority like you do everything else. And I say that as someone who loves to sleep in. I had to put my steel-toed boots on too when I was studying this passage. I love to sleep in. I go to bed at 8 o'clock and I still like to sleep in. But this, and you might be thinking, well, pastor, this is your job. No, it's not. Oh, it is, but listen. (laughs) Whether it's my job or not doesn't matter. It's a priority. Being connected to Jesus is a priority. Being connected to Jesus through worship and Sunday school is a priority. Get up early and come. Now, if you're retired, I got nothing for you. All right? Except this. Our retired folks, listen to me. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> listen to me. Set the example. Set the example. You've lived the Christian life and you followed Jesus a long time. You've produced fruit and you've stayed connected. Set the example for our younger folks. Set the example. Young folks, Tim, Paul talks to you too. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Set an example in word and speech. Young folks, set the, set the example for the older folks. And when we're all setting the example for each other, we're all connected to each other, we're all connected to Jesus, we're all producing fruit. And God is glorified. And God is glorified. So, as we close, take this with you. Fruit production, all those things, fruits of the Spirit, evangelism, directly dependent upon how you connect with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for our time together. Father, I pray that you would help every single person in this room to abide in you, to rest in you, to remain in you. First and foremost, every day as individuals, we would open up this word and read it and study it on our own. That we would have a very vibrant, faithful, powerful prayer life. And that we would connect here as a church. We would connect through worship, through Sunday school. Father, help us to use these tools, these avenues, these programs to grow closer to you so that we can produce fruit in our own lives and that we can lead others to be a part of the true vine. Father, help us to draw our nourishment from you. Help us to trust you. Father, when we're being pruned, Help us to be faithful and help us to rely on your loving kindness to get us through. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.